Law Focus Podcast, bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Law Focus. My name is Millicent Indueni, your voice of law for the evening. I am not alone. I am joined by Mr. Tepo Muhapi, a lawyer and partner of Tepo Muhapi Attorneys. He is, as of today, um, going to be co-hosting the show with me. You will hear his voice later when he takes on the role of a guest in our first interview. You are listening to 5M 88.1. It is election season in South Africa and national voting will occur on the 8th of May 2019, which is next week Wednesday. And hence we thought it pertinent that we do a show that anticipates our upcoming elections. And as such, tonight we will talk about the South African electoral process, which is essentially part one of the hype that is building towards the elections. Next week, which will be the eve of the elections, we will get into a part two of a conversation around a coalition government in preparation for what a lot of political analysts have been suggesting about our 2019 national elections. To guide us in these conversations, we will speak to Professor Roger Southall from the University of the Witwatersrand, who will analyze the South African electoral system for us. I did say earlier that we have a new addition to the show, and he joins our conversation tonight as a guest and our first interview, actually, as he gives us the ins and outs of the technical legal aspect of the South African electoral process, and that is attorney Tepo Mohapi from Tepo Mohapi Attorneys. Of course, this wouldn't be a conversation without your input. So if you wish to join the conversation, you can send us a tweet on at VowFM using the hashtag LawFocus. You are also welcome to send us a voice note on WhatsApp and the number to dial is 084-078-4912. Do stay tuned for the upcoming discussion. But before we get into that, let us first see which stories are making headlines this week. Here are our legal hotspots. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week legal hotspots. For our legal hotspots this week, in our first story, the Constitutional Court is set to hear arguments for the inclusion of independent candidates in the elections on the 2nd of May. This comes after the new movement and others' application was dismissed in the High Court. The applicants claim that the Electoral Act is unconstitutional because it does not allow individuals to contest in the elections as independent candidates. They add that failure of the Act to regulate the position of individuals who stand for the National Assembly or Provincial Legislature other than political party lists is invalid. Tapamutawung spokesperson of the new movement says that Elections should take place in a manner that is free and fair, which complies with the Constitution. In our second story, the Nelson Mandela Foundation is asking the Equity Court to give an order on the display of the old South African flag by the Afri Forum members. Advocate Ngai Tobi, representing the foundation, told the court that the flag stood for racial domination and it declares hate speech. The foundation presses that the law shouldn't discourage the use of the old flag and for it to be banned. In defense, Afri Forum says it discourages its members from displaying the flag, but that it should not be banned. 
The forum argues the banning of the flag would be an infringement to the right to freedom of expression. The trial continues. In our third story, about 22 former Cecil coal miners are claiming more than 80 million rand in damages for lung and other diseases as a result of inhaling dust while working underground. Their claim is based on the negligence of the mine to take reasonable measures to ensure healthy working conditions. Twelve of the miners say they were dismissed from employment because they contracted lung-related illnesses which made them unable to continue working. Meanwhile, Cecil Mine denies liability on grounds that the matter has prescribed in terms of the Prescription Act as it should have been brought three years ago. Cecil also says that the reason for dismissal was due to illegal strikes, not because they suffered lung illnesses and that it provided all the necessary material to ensure healthy working conditions. And in our final legal hotspot story this week, President Cyril Ramaphosa has dismissed Advocate Jiba as Deputy National Director of Public Prosecutions and Mkhwebi as Special Director of Public Prosecutions. An inquiry by former judge Ivan Mukhoro looked into how the officials conducted themselves in terms of their duties. Mukhoro found them not to be fit and proper to hold office on various grounds such as the fact that they acted contrary to the National Prosecuting Authority Act. The pair were sent letters by the president to inform them of their dismissal. Members of parliament have also accepted the decision of the president to dismiss the pair. You are tuned into Law Focus on VFM 88.1. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week. Legal hotspots. Democracy as a system is big on processes. Perhaps for some it is regarded simply as bureaucracy. But the bigger point is that it should be about justice, about representation, and we should never take it for granted by not acquainting ourselves with institutions within it and many other functions and processes that make it work. The electoral system is one such function of democracy. The electoral process, which in my opinion is quite complex, is what we aim to make sense of this evening and what better time to engage with the topic than now. We have a legal mind in studio who will help us navigate how the electoral process in South Africa works. And although you will ordinarily hear him as a co-host on the show tonight, we engage with him as a guest and attorney, Mr. Tepa Mohapi. Law Focus, Law Focus. Consult, Law Focus. 88.1 Point of Information. Joining us now on Law Focus is Tepo Mohapi, who is an attorney from Tepo Mohapi Attorneys, and he's going to basically help us uncover the electoral process in South Africa. Thank you so much for joining us here, Mr. Mohapi, on Law Focus. Welcome. Uh, hello, Millicent. Hello to the listeners. Um, thank you for having me. Now, to start off, we know that there are a number of concepts that we obviously need to try and unpack like the structure of the South African government. We've got the legislative, executive, as well as the judicial. Can you unpack these for us, please? Well, every democratic system has, in fact, got th- three arms of government, and that's the judiciary, the legislature, and the executive. So the uh, legislature is parliament, um, the executive is cabinet or government, and the judiciary 
is the superior courts. And each of them have separate functions. They work independently of one another, but they are also very dependent on one another as well. Um, it's not possible to have a truly democratic system without those three arms of government in existence, strong and functioning. Absolutely, because we also know that they are meant to be separate. They're not supposed to be confined together for the purposes of our democratic system, correct? Yeah, that's right. But let me give you an example, a very simple example, perhaps one that's not related to electoral law, but if somebody's accused of a crime, um, there's legislation around how they're going to be tried and so on, and that is created by the legislature. The courts will try them, and if they're convicted, it is the state which then confines them to a prison. So although they're independent, they have to work together, all of them, to ensure that uh, governance works, you know. Effectively and efficiently. And different parts of the world obviously use different electoral systems. Which ones do we use here in South Africa? We use a proportional system. How many different types are there perhaps? And just quickly, briefly. Well, there are quite a few. I mean, there isn't one standard form of democracy. Um, The one that is the most sort of juxtaposed would be the Westminster system. It's also called called the the first-past-the-post system. Um, In South Africa, our system uh, operates on the idea that the vote overall uh, or parliament should be a reflection of the overall vote. So if a certain party got 20% of the vote, parliament should constitute, the parliamentary seat should constitute 20% of their, you know, their seat Mm. should constitute 20% of of the parliament's votes. Mm. And that's how we operate. In other systems, it doesn't do that. What they have is uh, uh, geographical areas, which they call constituencies, and they have candidates who are from those who stand for election, and whoever gets the most votes, not the majority of votes, the most votes in that area, is then becomes the the parliamentarian for that particular area. So you could have, in that system, you could have someone who got 40% of the vote, and the other 60% was split, say, among three or four other candidates. But that individual who got 40% would be the representative of that particular area, which is not the case in Southern. It sounds very complicated. I think it needs a it needs a mathematical mind. I don't have a mathematical mind, so I think I'm just not even going to try. But um, I think you've tried your best to to explain it um, better for us. I think when we come back after elections, when we try and look at the the numbers, we can also get into this aspect more pragmatically, just to try and make sense of it for 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 everyone, so that we understand. Uh, for for purposes of you know just understanding how our South African democracy works. Now, what avenues are there for people with different forms of disabilities um, to vote, for instance? Well, we in South Africa, what we do is we um, we'll we'll set a date for elections, which in this instance will be the eighth of May. But prior to that, arrangements are made for individuals to be noted. They make themselves, they make the government aware or the state aware that they do have a disability and therefore voting on the day of elections will not be uh, feasible for them. And so the government then makes arrangements for them to vote 
prior. It's ordinarily a day or two prior to that, and they're allowed to vote with no cues and very minimal fuss. Mm. Uh, and it's to avoid a situation where you have people with disabilities having to wait in very long queues just to go and vote. Or like, yes, does it go for everyone, whether you might be someone with a disability or a pregnant woman or um, people who are in prison, all those people are classified under special votes? I'm not sure about individuals who are in prison, uh, uh, but they can vote. In South Africa, we have a unique system. No one has ever denied the franchise. Even people who don't live in South Africa but have South African citizenship, they've voted recently. Um, um, However, anybody with a medical condition, whether it's a disability or it's, uh, even if it's a temporary condition, but it would uh, hinder your ability to stand in the queue and vote, can make themselves can use the facilities that the that the, that the state provides in terms of voting prior to the normal election day and voting on one of the special days. Speaking of those people who might have just recently voted on Saturday, uh, when do their votes get counted together with everyone else's, or have they been counted already? No, they won't be counted prior to the um, voting starts. Or rather a counting of votes starts once the election closes so after the 8th of may so even in the evening perhaps they will start counting and they they, they count they start counting very quickly but i mean in the evening once they close they start okay and obviously um on voting day there are certain things that you need to make sure that you carry with you um the requirement after meeting the the basic requirements for voting what are those particular things that items that people should make sure that they have when they do go in and vote so in order you you don't have to qualify anything like that to vote but in order for you to be eligible to cast a vote you need to be a south african uh, citizen you need to be over the age of 18 uh and um you need to be over the age of 18 but uh more than that there's actually nothing except the fact that you should be registered you not should you must be registered to vote okay uh, the reason uh, that there's a registration process for you to vote is not for you to qualify to vote it's admin it it makes the uh, the electorate quantifiable so that we don't have problems with extra votes, too many votes, votes that came out of nowhere. We have an idea of this is our electorate. So you will need to have registered to vote. If you haven't, uh, don't go. You'll be wasting your time. Uh, and once you are there, you must arrive with your green barcoded ID or your smart card ID, uh, which will also indicate that you've registered to vote, you're a registered voter, and then you can vote. Simple mm. as that. Simple as that. And what are the do's and don'ts for both voters as well as political parties on voting day? As a, as, as a general rule, do not politic in the lines. Including t-shirts and no, caps. No, you, you may wear whatever it is you'd like, you want to wear. We don't really have restrictions on that. But it is, for instance, intimidating behavior, enticing people to try and vote for you in the lines or vote a particular way. That is not allowed. Mm. I mean, there are also people who advocate for spoiling your vote. What does this notion mean? And how effective, if at all, is it? Right. In South Africa, we often discuss the right to vote. And it's an entrenched right. We have a converse right as well, which is the right not to vote. 
And so you can elect to go and vote or elect not to go and vote. Now, when you go and spoil your vote, it simply means that you are going to ensure that your vote is not counted. So you're going to go stand in, in the queue for a few hours and then do something, whether it is deface the, uh, the ballot or um, vote for more than one party, whatever it is that would disqualify your vote, that's to spoil your vote. Um, I don't understand the logic behind that because the effect would be the same as if you stayed at home and simply not voted at all, other than that other people will have seen you voting. Uh, to not vote is a right, and you may do it, and to spoil your vote, you may spoil your vote deliberately if you want to do so. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's a form of protest perhaps then someone who decides not to vote might say uh, there's not there's no one who's good enough for my vote and then someone who does go to vote might also feel this is my way of sending out a statement that neither of you guys are actually good enough for me well remember that the vote is anonymous it's entirely anonymous when you're in that booth your name isn't anywhere your race who, who, not, none of that is there and so as a form of protest in the booth I don't know how it will translate into something notifiable by the political parties concerned. Mm. Um, in my opinion, it would be a better indication of protest if you simply stayed away and said, well, none of you deserve my vote and therefore I'm not going to vote. Okay. Now, finally, for our final question, when voting is finished, um, what then happens leading up to the inauguration of the new president that we will have? I, unfortunately, it's, it's 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 business as usual. Parliament is already in uh, session. In, in in, I believe it's it's in recess. They're they're, they're back at the moment. I think uh, my partner at the firm is actually a parliamentarian, and he's been back for at least a month now. It allows them to to do their politics and so on. Um, but it's really business as usual until the new parliament is elected. There are 400 members of parliament. Uh, and once the vote is uh, once the, the, the electoral vote is counted, the seats are allocated to the various parties. And those parties will then elect the president. The president is the person who creates his cabinet, which is government. Mm. Wow, this is very interesting. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Tepa Mohapi, who is an attorney at Tepa Mohapi Attorneys, for joining us right here on Law Focus this evening. Thank you. Law Focus, handing you your rights. You are still listening to Law Focus. Let's continue the conversation as we try and understand and make sense of the electoral process. Remember, you can share your take on the matter with us by sending a WhatsApp voice note on 084 078-4912. Alternatively, you may also tweet on at VowFM using the hashtag LawFocus. Professor Raja Sadhor is an emeritus at the University of the Witwatersrand. He is a sociologist and political studies professor who recently wrote a rather interesting and profound article on the need for electoral systems to reform urgently. In the article, he speaks of how the difficulty of even Brexit to take place all boils down to the electoral system. He joins us now in studio as an analyst covering interesting issues about the electoral process in general. 
Joining us here on Law Focus is Professor Roger Sadel, who is a sociologist and currently resides at the University of the Witwatersrand. And he's going to basically help us analyze the electoral system in South Africa. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor Sadel. Welcome to Law Focus. Hello. Hello. Now, let's start with the different critiques. There's different electoral systems, right? Can we just quickly critique um, the one that we use in South Africa, the proportional representation system? Well, it's, uh, it's one of the simplest systems to work in many ways. It's basically a, uh, an, what's called a national list or a provincial list system where you have a, parties put up their candidates for a given number of seats in the legislature and then they run and if you get a fifth and you get proportionate representation um, so that if you if the ANC gets 60% of the vote then they get 60% of the seats in the parliament okay so all right and what would entail the best electoral system would you say sorry the best electoral system according to to your opinion what would that be I don't think you can say there is a best electoral system because mm. they're suited to local conditions and they develop over time in different countries with different cultures, political cultures and so on and so forth. Um, but I think we can make some suggestions that, for instance, the first-past-the-post system, if you know what that is, um, which is basically uh, you divide a country up into constituencies small constituencies uh, you have usually one member uh, elected from the constituency for a legislature and then the person who gets the most votes in an election gets elected now the problem with the first past the post is that if you get the leading candidate say winning 40 percent and the second candidate winning 39 and the rest of the votes distributed amongst other political parties then in fact um, you have a member of parliament who is uh, doesn't he didn't actually get a, get a majority of the seats in his constituency and this goes on at national level and so in fact that you get uh, uh, very often in fact most often you get uh, political parties elected to government who don't have a popular majority it's very rare in England for instance I think there was it's very rare for a government to have majority support. I can think of the 1945 Labour government, and I think, that I'm correct in saying, there has been one other government after that in the post-war period. The present government, for instance, I think has something like, he got a vote of about 39% of the electorate. Mm. Hmm. Yes, uh, Prof, I just wanted to ask you, if you juxtapose the... The, report, the proportional system and the, the Westminster-style system. Um, if I look at it, I, I would say that the benefit of the proportional system is that the vote uh, translates into seats in Parliament. And so what I voted for, as what we voted for as, as an electorate, is translated in our legislature. However, who is actually representing me in Johannesburg, in my little area, I have no idea. Uh, that would be the downside of it. And I don't know how to hold that person accountable. And with the Westminster system, while I may not have voted for uh, Mr. Mr. Smith or Mr. Mukwena, however, 
I know that he represents this region or this area that I'm in, this constituency, and therefore I can hold him accountable. I can watch his every move and I can present him. Um, is there a way that we can bring those together? Or what do you... Yeah, there is. Um, uh, or certainly uh, there is a model for bringing them together. And in fact, it was suggested by um, an electoral commission, sorry, an electoral systems commission, uh, which sat under Frederick Van Sabbat. Um, in terms of the constitution, actually, it um, reported in 2002 and suggested what's called a multi-member proportional representation system. Basically, what you do is you carve the country up into a number of given constituencies, then within those constituencies you have various uh, M uh, various parties competing for uh, a given number of seats. And the uh, parties are represented in that constituency according to the proportion of the vote they get. But it does mean that, say, for instance, if you're let us say there was one constituency in Johannesburg, I'm sure there'd actually be more because the size of the um, population. But if you had one constituency in Johannesburg, then you might, say, have 20 MPs. Um, you might get, well, uh, the ANC takes 15 of them and the DA takes two or three and the EFF gets a couple. Um, at least the population of Johannesburg does have a number of MPs who they know are supposed to represent Johannesburg. They can also go to a representative of the party of their choice. At the same time, you are maintaining overall proportionality. So you can combine the two systems. Mm. Or, or in, yeah, you can bring about some form of combination. And, 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 and I don't know, I'm wondering, where does the real power really lie um, in terms of our electoral system? Do you think, because I think there's a bit of a difference between the national and the local e elections and how they are run. Which of the two would you say um, affords more benefits to the greater population? It's, uh, it's a bit difficult to, I think, answer the, the way the question is put. I mean, I think at the national level, uh, the electorate very much does feel the lack of accountability, as uh, you were suggesting in the, uh, one of the earlier questions. People, I think, feel the need to have an MP they can go to who they feel should have some responsibility for their particular problems. Um, at local level, we have a mix between proportional representation and first-past-the-post. And you have um, ward councillors elected by first past the post it's not the same as mixed member of proportionality as just like as i've been talking in theory you have um ward councillors and uh individuals can go to their ward councillor and uh say you have responsibility to represent me i haven't got water i haven't got electricity what's happening so in theory that's a good system in practice it's not worked out as well as we would like because i think probably the, partly the nature of our politics, partly, I think, to do with aspects of patronage within the ANC, um, and, uh, and so on. So it's, you, you have the theory of electoral systems, and you get the theory right, but it doesn't always mean that the, that the practice works out as you would hope. Absolutely. 
I mean, what what honestly do you think um, South Africa needs to ensure that our democracy really is progressive in terms of voting? Because we are made to believe that your vote has so much power. And it's easy to obviously critique that when you don't see it materializing. So what are the changes that you would think you would say are necessary um, to show that even in voting, our democracy is actually progressive? I would like to see the appointment of another elect, uh, another commission to investigate changes in the electoral system. The last one reported in 2002 in terms of because the constitution said there should be a review of the electoral system after a certain amount of time. I think it's time that it should happen again because things may have changed, popular opinion may have changed. I rather doubt it, but popular opinion may have changed. And I think that uh, there are several things which could be investigated, whether we should change to uh, multi-member proportional representation. Um, There might be some call for direct election of the president. Um, The other thing which might be considered is whether instead of having closed list proportional representation like we have at the moment, in other words, the ANC has a list list of candidates and we don't have any choice. So if you you don't want to vote for Ace Magashuli, but you want to vote for the ANC, if you want to vote for the ANC, what do you do? Uh, with, op- uh, with open um, PR, open list PR, you can choose which ANC candidates you want to vote for, which you don't want to vote for. So there are a number of combinations which need investigation. Um, it's not something you should enter into lightly because changing constitutions uh, too often and too regularly is, I think, rather a bad habit. But I think that we are in a position now that um, probably it's the time is more opportune for thinking about the electoral system again um, the last one didn't come out the elect the uh, majority report of the van zell slobbert commission in 2002 was rejected and the anc went with a minority recommendation which really was coming from anc leaning people in that commission and i think the anc felt at the time that they a, perhaps they were a little bit suspicious of a change, thought it would diminish proportionality, which I don't think it would have done. Um, but I think they were very comfortable with the existing system as well. Now things are getting a bit more tense politically for the ANC. Maybe they'd be more open for some form of reform change. Mm. Uh, uh, Prof, I just wanted to perhaps to maybe oh, I'll ask one or two things on... Um, If we say that we're going to possibly look into changing the electoral system or explore the possibilities, um, is is, is that portion of um, uh, that our parliament or legislature should by and large be representative of the vote? Is that not entrenched? And would it not be a massive feat to try and change that um, going forward, given the fact that the ANC, the majority party at the moment, is seems to be losing ground, uh, would it be possible to do something, such a massive change, now? 
Um, well, as I just suggested, I think it might be given that the ANC is uh, facing the possibility of going into coalition. And in the future, coalitions are going to become more regular. Um, if it feels that the, that the population is a bit fed up with having to vote for the ace magashulis of this world, it might well be more open to thinking about opening up choice for the electorate so as to keep its popularity. So I think it's very possible. What we should remember is that the Constitution actually lays down that the electoral system should in general allow for proportional representation. I guess, though, the problem with any any type of change or reform is when you are happy with the status quo because you are comfortable, you wouldn't want to actually change anything about it. But if you're getting uncomfortable, then it may, may mean that you're <laughs> open, more open to change. Yeah. Um, and the ANC, as we know, is not one animal. It's several animals in some sort of a internal coalition, in fact. Uh, prof, as, as, as a general rule... Uh, it doesn't matter which post you, you, you hold in South Africa, but an elected post, whether it's at a local level, um, uh, a regional or national level, the requirements are very few. It's that you should be over the age of 18, a citizen of this country. You should uh, not be an unrehabilitated insolvent, and you should not have a serious criminal record that in excess of 12 months direct imprisonment without the option of a fine. We have seen one or two famous deviations um, from that. Um, and uh, is that really permissible? The argument, for example, with the late uh, Mrs. Matigizela Mandela, she received a suspended sentence and the interpretation was up to for debate. In any event, she never lost her seat. That's just one example. We're seeing now where the parties are opening their lists up to objections uh, and um, they're only uh, removing candidates on those bases and not on sort of uh, ethical basis. They say, well, we'll refer that to our ethics committee. What's your comment on that? Well, I think if the ANC looked at itself after this election I suspect they would come to the conclusion that they have probably lost votes because people see some of the people who are on the electoral list um, that would be the common sense point of view um, I think but it's open-ended what's going to happen we shall see what the result of the election is how strong Ramaphosa is going to be after the election and so forth but uh, I think you're right. I think the political parties need to take greater consideration of the ethics of the people. The standard phrase we get coming out, particularly of the ANC, is that everybody is proved innocent until they're proved guilty, which is absolutely correct. But really, if you have a huge cloud of suspicion over your head, in most countries, a political party would not want you to stand for them because they would say we might be tainted. It would be usual for such candidates in many countries to say I do not want to damage my party because I am uh, accused of A, B and C. I don't want to uh, endanger my party in the next election by standing. I am of course totally innocent but nonetheless I have this terrible accusation against me. Terribly unfair but there we are. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of selfishness. And speaking of ethics, um, I'm wondering that as a voter, what should 
our responsibilities be? Should we be more concerned with the party that we are actually voting for or for parties that we are voting for? Or should we be more concerned about the individuals within those parties? Where does our responsibility lie? Difficult to say. Uh, as you see, one of, at the moment, you don't vote for individuals. Um, you don't really have much choice. I mean, you do. The only element of choice you really have is splitting your vote between provincial and national level, and you may want to do that on the basis of um, party or individuals. Um, you may want to vote for Ramaphosa at uh, national level and uh, Winder at uh, provincial level in the Western Cape. Um, but at the moment, you don't have that possibility of voting for individuals. And I think that's the fundamental critique of the um, present system. Okay. Uh, going off at a, a slightly different tangent, I, the, um, I'm not sure you will be aware because it was only reported a few hours ago, I think, that the Freedom Front Plus... Uh, didn't succeed in having the BLF removed, I think I said. Mm -hmm. And so we've got, fortunately or unfortunately in South Africa, we've got a vast range of parties that you may vote for. In other, perhaps more developed countries, the the range of options is uh, much more limited, a handful, and then there are some independent candidates. In South Africa, we have I think over 30 parties that are registered at the moment. Okay. None of I may be as a voter looking at these parties and say, well, I really don't like these characters. Do we have a mechanism of saying, well, me, Tsapo Mohapi, I am going to stand for election in my area for parliament. If we don't have something like that, why don't we have? Because it's the nature of the electoral system. If you want to stand as an individual, you've got to invent your political party. Um, if you had multi-member proportional representation, um, I think you would. Uh, th there could well be allowance for you to stand as an individual um, uh, within a large constituency. So if people really liked you, they could vote for you as an individual, even though you don't have a political party. Go and, and that's one possibility. And I'm assuming that's one of the 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 um, the aspects of reform that could be looked at uh, without you know um, having to turn the whole system upside down. I mean, once the system is relooked at, I mean that's one of the things that they possibly could come up. Uh, yes, it is. I mean, I think. I mean, I'm not suggesting that um, MMP, as we call call it would be problem free um, where you have constituencies you always have the I think increased danger of um, money creeping in the sense of essentially some form of bribes to voters by particular MPs if you go notoriously in Kenya for instance um, constituency MPs they still have first past the post constituency MPs really have to go around the country at election time promising this that and the other um, so one, if one introduces MMP, you're going to have to introduce a battery of checks to make sure that you don't get that sort of undesirable element creeping in.
Um, but I think we're getting there. In the next Parliament, hopefully, we will get tighter regulations on political funding through the system. At last, we were hoping they would be in place for this election, but they, they can get got kicked down the road. Let's hope it doesn't happen again. But I think if you do have a change in the system, there are ways and means of trying to ensure that it works as it should as opposed to going wrong. I mean, Professor Saddle, based on the, the, the comment that you just made right now, what advice would you perhaps then give to voters about matters of interest that they should make sure that they get acquainted with before they vote? You spoke about um, the, the funds that your political party might be getting from who? Is that, is that something that's, that's important that we should actually really, really um, take into heart as opposed to just be ignorant about it, you know? Um, things about who is on the party list. Are, are those not considerations that are of paramount interest that we as voters should make sure that we are aware of and we make an informed choice therefore by placing your ex on whatever party you will i i I think it's uh, i wouldn't want to say voters should vote on this and that particular grounds because voters are going to have their own particular agendas their own particular interest but i think it's on the interest of everybody if we have much more transparency around political funding in particular um and that uh, if the well, for instance, if the ANC is in receipt of uh, uh, monies from oil corporations because of the discoveries coming out in the Indian Ocean, then I think we would be entitled to know about it. I'm not suggesting they do. Um, if they are receiving money from Angola, which they could be doing, if they're receiving money from another country such as India, um, then I think we should know about it. Maybe we shouldn't allow foreign funding. I don't know. But I certainly think it, there is a case for transparency. Yeah. We are uh, wrapping up our conversation with Professor Raja Sadhal, who is a sociologist at the University of the Witwatersrand. I think two last questions. Tepo, you go for it first. Yes. Um, it was uh, earlier in the show, I gave a very brief idea of the three arms of government and how they are interdependent on each other to a degree and how they are also independent of one another to a degree. The one thing that is very significant, I believe, about South African um, politics and the whole South African political sphere is that our, we are relying more and more heavily on the judiciary to hold government accountable, which is, I would say, an unusual thing. Um, ordinarily, Parliament holds the government accountable and the, the president is required to answer questions to justify the decisions that he makes and so on. Um, if we look at South Africa, it's only since the Jacob Zuma years and with the EFF that that is starting to become so, although it was perhaps uh, almost narrowed to an individual, the problem, rather than holding government at large accountable. Do you think that, or what contribution do you think that that lack of accountability between, gov between the government, cabinet, and the state has led to uh, some of the issues that we have here today? Well, I think as we're talking about the electoral systems, I think the um, 
electoral system we've got does uh, lend it to that, uh, does lend itself to that, and that is fairly well known if you look around the world with our particular uh, system. And I think if you're looking for Parliament to exert greater accountability, then you need to give individual MPs a little bit more muscle than they've got. Um, and if you, you need to give them some independence of party bosses um, so that when the lists, electoral lists are drawn up, um, that uh, a particular candidate can say, well, if you kick me out, I'm extremely popular in my particular area and the party's going to suffer. So give them a bit of weight. And hopefully this would translate into um, some greater muscle in Parliament. Um, I don't think we should expect too much, but um, particularly I think one of the most encouraging things, as you're saying recently, is not just with the um, Zuma must go sort of phenomenon, but I think we have seen more recently some of the parliamentary committees exerting themselves again in a way that I don't think happened so much under the Zuma regime. And I think if you have greater independence of MPs that again, a lot of the work, important work in Parliament is done in the committees. We yeah. don't, you know, we don't necessarily see it on TV and everything. But that's where, that's where it happens. Um, so, yeah, that's... In a nutshell. Yeah. Mine is very easy. My final question is very easy. So, our vote on the 8th of May, how much power will they have for the next five years? Who's that? The votes that we're going to... Our voting on the 8th of May, how much power will they have the for vote. the next five years? The voters. Our votes, yeah, our actual I votes. See. How much power do they have? It's difficult to say. Um, we hope the voters will have a considerable amount of power, but they won't just be exercising it through elections. Although, of course, there will be local elections. We won't have another election for five years, so some politicians may say we can forget about the electorate for five years. Um, we need to think in terms of active citizenship, in terms of going beyond elections. <coughs> we need to think in terms of political participation. People looking at what's going on in Parliament, commenting upon it, uh, writing to MPs, commenting upon the radio making it clear what people want. Make it much more difficult for, parla for Parliament to ignore. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Professor Raja Sadal, for joining us here on Law Focus. We appreciate your time. Law Focus on 88.1 Point of Information. I think that tonight's show was rather educational and hopefully we got it as food for thought leading up to the elections next week. We learned that whereas other countries opt for a constituency-based system where the member with the most votes it gets a seat in Parliament, we in South Africa use the proportional representation system for our national elections, whereby the percentage of votes that a party has is the percentage of people whom the party will have in Parliament. Of course, this is important so that even the smaller parties also get representation. Unfortunately, there is no perfect electoral system, however, and we have to make the best of what we have. And that is why it is so important for MPs to have more independence from their political parties to make sure that they actually serve the people.
Professor Southall, it's rated that perhaps we need to investigate changes in our electoral system, such as electing our president directly, as well as the electorate actually having a say about the party lists. The downside to this, of course, is that we do not want to make tampering with the Constitution customary. Attorney Tepa Mohapi reminded us that we should be careful to not be intimidating on voting day. And he also spoke to the notion of spoiling your votes, which I think we can have a future analysis of. So whether you choose to vote for a single party or split your votes, Professor Southall has advised us that we should vote in the local elections. And if you really want your vote to have power and to be meaningful, have active citizenship. Put your thoughts out there in newspapers, on radio, at events. Have your say. Don't just sit and be quiet until the next national elections. That is only five years from now. From our producer, Simba Honde, our technical producer, Gutrano Sirami, our law focus researchers, Sise Tuzingelwa, Nalka Mamate, Tepo Mohapi, and myself, Millicent Ndiweni. Thank you for tuning into Law Focus tonight. Law Focus Podcast.